Hello, this is Jackie Shea. Welcome to Too Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on as well as highly informed about something new. Today, I'm super excited because I get to speak with Alina Furman, founder and chef at Supalina, author of Supalina's Soup Cleanse, plant-based soups, broths to heal your Body, Calm Your Mind, and Transform Your Life, and a contributing editor at Modern Luxury. Hi, Alina. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get to talk to you on air, and I'm so excited for all the listeners to get to hear your story and advice. You have so much of it. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about, so that listeners can get a background on you, your battle with breast cancer? Oh gosh, that's that's a, that's a long story. I know. I can. I can. I'll short. I'll shorten the questions for you. So let's start with. Um, let's start with what took you to the doctor. Okay, so um, I um, was getting ready for my fortieth birthday party, and I wanted to have this big birthday on the beach, all in white, and uh, celebrate going into another decade. So I, I started working out with a trainer and I was in the best shape of my life and I was all excited about that. And over the weekend, one day I was taking a shower and I was walking out of the shower and my girls started poking fun at me because I was super skinny, which I really liked, but they thought I was super skinny. And uh, they made a comment about my boobs going south because I was turning 40. And so I grabbed onto my boobs and said, come on, girls, that's not okay to tell your mother that. <laughs> and as I did that, I felt something. And I, and I it just kind of sent shivers down my spine and I went, oh my gosh, what's going on? What is this? So, of course, I started touching myself and trying to figure out what in the world that was. And I kind of immediately had that feeling that it's probably cancer, even though I have no history of cancer in my family. Nobody has ever had any cancer. I know nothing about I knew nothing about cancer at that time. But we were new in Los Angeles at that time. I had no doctors. I barely knew anybody here. And so I called the one person that I knew who was actually a mother of one of my daughter's classmates and said, do you know a doctor I can go to? And she made a few calls and scheduled me for a, um, uh, for a mammogram and scheduled me to go see um, a doctor. And so mammogram was actually before I, I went to see the doctor. And when the technician was doing a mammogram, she immediately looked at me and she says, it does not look good. I'm pretty sure it's cancer. She says, I, I'm not a doctor, so it's going to have to go. The doctor will have to read it, but I'm pretty sure it is. And so she said, do you want to wait or do you want to come back later to find out? I said, no, I'll wait. You just said something that obviously is not okay. And I waited and then they came out and said that, that it was. And that to confirm that they wanted me to do a biopsy and see when I wanted to schedule a biopsy. And I said, well, I'm here. If you have availability, I'll do it now. And they did have availability. And so they uh, immediately, you know, started, you know, prepping me for the biopsy. And, um, and then, um, again, the technician that was doing the nurse, the technician who was doing the biopsy, said, um, in, obviously it's going to take about a week for pathology report, but just looking at what just happened, she says, I, I, it's pretty bad. She said, it's pretty bad. She says, you might want to start looking at surgeons, like immediately. Wow. Yeah. That all happened in <laughs> the same day. It all happened like within moments, literally, within a couple hours. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe, I'm surprised that the technician told you that. Yeah. I've never heard a story actually about a technician saying, yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. So what, yeah. I mean, will you tell us how you, what happened emotionally in, in that moment? Uh, at the beginning, I was definitely, uh, I was in disbelief because I, I just, even though in, inside of me, I kind of felt like she's probably right because I felt like that was the truth, but I didn't want to believe it. And I kept pushing it away and I thought, oh, the pathology is going to come back and it's just not going to be it. You know, they're just saying this and she doesn't really know. And, you know, of course it's going to be fine. But yet, you know, intuitively I knew that she was right, even though I don't know why and how, but I did. I knew it was she was right. And so that whole week I was sleepwalking basically because I couldn't tell anybody and I didn't want to disturb, you know, my kid's life. And, you know, but at the same time I couldn't. I couldn't function, you know, I just... You had two you know, young kids. They were young? They were pretty young, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. were you solely taking care of them? No. I was still married at that okay. time. And so, but my now ex-husband was living in Atlanta. And so I did call him, obviously. And so he came, you know, he flew in. And we were just trying to figure it out. And we were, I guess, trying to tell each other that it's not going to happen. You know, that it's not going to be cancer. Right. And uh, so, um, and then I was actually um, in San Diego with my younger daughter. Um, and we were in the car when the call came in um, from the hospital, from pathology, basically confirming that it was cancer. And it was surreal, completely surreal, you know. And um, and then, I, you know, because they immediately start telling you, like, what you should be doing. You know, you have to make this appointment, that appointment. And it was just like a whirlwind of information that I was not prepared for and of course didn't have time for (laughs) and had you ever had health issues in your life before that so this was all pretty brand new to you never never had any issues and you were really healthy yeah you 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 had a great diet and you exercised and And i looked so hot after my workouts i was so ready for my party (laughs) oh god it was like me when i when i got lime i was it was my 26th birthday and i felt better than I'd ever felt in my life and I felt really my body looked better than it ever had and that was that's that's so that's so intense wow so what so all of these treatment options were laid out in front of you right well yes and no I mean they you know the first thing that they tell you is to start um making an appointment with a surgeon because they want you on the table immediately and operated on immediately um, and then they suggest that you make an appointment with an oncologist and radiologist and, you know, and all of that. Um, so do they suggest immediately that you get the lump removed or that you get a mastectomy? You have to go and meet with uh, the surgeon and then they discuss, oh. they look at you again and they do sonograms and like there's a whole process and you spend obscene amounts of time and discuss with them every possible option of okay. what's best for you, you know, because every, obviously every cancer is very different and there is no two alike even though they divide them into stages and grades kind of thing, but they're all very different, you know, genetically and the way they're, they are, you know? It's similar. I just read an article about um, <clears throat> cancer metastasizing and how it's really, it, it, there is no way to track it. It's different for every single body. Every the single same, body. Mm-hmm. The same as, you know, holistic health looks at the whole person mm-hmm. and how every person is different. Mm-hmm. Cancer is that way. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no rhyme or reason or way to really right. track it. So yeah, exactly. you had a you had an aggressive form they said right so one thing that um well let's backtrack a little bit so um they you know at that time they told me that um it was stage one but grade three and i knew nothing what that meant and you know and and but then i was told that 
the first appointment that I made with the first oncologist, I've gone through multiple oncologists and multiple surgeons before I you know, agreed to anything. And uh, the first oncologist looking at the pathology said, um, oh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have to do chemo. And I said, oh, why? And she said, well, um, because you have grade three and you're young. And so cancer is divided into stages and grades. So everybody knows cancer by, gra- by stages because it's the size of the lump and how fat, uh, and where it's gone, whether it's metastasized or not. But grade is actually the more important part of it because it's how aggressive it is. So there are three grades, four stages and three grades. So um, grade one is slow-growing cancer. Grade two is kind of in the middle, intermediate. And grade three is aggressive. And so the, the way I kind of learned it and I explained to people now is that it's kind of like a turtle and a bird. You know, you can have... Um, Stage four, for example, which is metastasized cancer all over your body, but grade one, and it can take you way longer and you can live for way longer, even without doing anything sometimes, because um, because it just grows very slowly. And you can have stage one and grade three, and it's going to burn through your body and you can be gone. And that's what happens sometimes. People get diagnosed and they're like in the like stage two or something, and then they die within months. And people go like, how did this happen? Well, it happened because of how fast those cells were multiplying and how fast they were growing. But nobody talks about it, and I don't know why. They don't. That's no, so interesting because I don't know anything about no. grades. Yeah. I only know stages. Right, right. Um, that's so interesting. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. So yeah. you had grade three, and they were saying you needed aggressive treatment because right. of that? Right, right. Because I was also young, so... Female cancers, breast cancer and all the other female cancers are driven by hormones. And the younger you are, the more aggressive cancer usually is because, um, because um, you know, obviously you're hormonally healthy and, um, and because it's driven by hormones, the, you know, the, most of the treatments like chemo and some of the, um, you know, subsequent treatments are there to block hormones from being released is because hormones are driving the driving force of female cancers and so yeah so that's why they wanted the most aggressive treatments because they wanted to kill it all (laughs) so you got so so you were told chemo you were told hormone therapy right well yeah so surgery so first you know it was uh it was a process of selecting a surgeon and well actually first i didn't want to do anything (laughs) right (laughs) at first i said screw this, I'm not doing anything. If I'm supposed to die, I'm going to die. Because it's overwhelming? Or, no, no, because I, you know, I didn't know why I said that back then, but now I do know because, well, first of all, cancer is an emotional disease. It, it is not a physical disease. And, um, and there's really no pain anywhere. So you're, you look good, you're healthy, you feel good. And that's why there's such disbelief because you're like, what do you mean I have cancer? I don't feel anything in my body. I'm fine. You know? And, but cancer comes from emotional issues and, you know, that's how, why mind and body are so paramount and, you know, taking care and balancing, um, everything is so important. So, um, now I know that the reason I said that is because emotionally I was kind of ready to go, you know, and, but I didn't know that back then because I thought my life was perfect. Well, now I know that it wasn't. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. So yeah. what So what gave you a change of heart? Uh, the girls, actually, my daughters. Um, well, a number of things, really, but the girls first. Um, 
So when we told, um, you know, uh, the girls, um, my older one was 16 and my younger one was 12. And um, the, you know, my younger one, I don't think understood um, what that really meant because, you know, she kind of trusted that when we said everything will be fine and mommy will be fine, she, she kind of understood that, okay, so I don't have to worry about it. And she just took it. But my older daughter who was older, obviously knew that just because your parents tell you everything will be fine. (laughs) Doesn't mean that it will be. (laughs) It's a hard lesson. She learned that pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. And so she took it. She didn't seem like she took it hard, but she, um, you know, she actually had shingles, you know, right after my diagnosis, which is a disease of older people. Right. And she was 16 years old and she broke out, her entire body broke out in, in, in these welts. And we didn't even know what that was before we took her to the doctor and and they tested her and they said, Oh my God, that's shingles. I've never seen a child with shingles. Wow. Yeah. And it's because she was so stressed on the inside of course, that her yeah. body just like reacted in such a violent way. And she was, she was crying and she was really, you know, she just, there was a lot of change in her and I felt it and it, it just, it killed me, you know, like I couldn't even believe that I, I didn't even think, I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't think that anybody would care, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I just didn't feel like anybody would care. I didn't want anybody to know about it. I told my kids, don't tell anybody, you know, you can tell one friend, you know, if you want to share with somebody, but I don't want people leaving food at the doorstep. I don't want people to think that I'm sick. I don't want anybody to know. Nobody needs to know. I'll just deal with this, you know? (laughs) So different than how you are today. Yes. (laughs) I just said, is anything off limits on the podcast? And you said, no, no, it's fine. I know you feel cha- it's changed my whole life. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to get yeah. there, but yeah. you know, yeah, you talk about in your book like something about how your passion chooses you. You don't get to choose it, or no. or your life. What it, I your can't, life path. Your yeah. life path. Yeah, yeah. So for it, sure. So this has changed your whole life. Totally. And, totally. and so you decided you were going to do something about it because you're right right so I so I started um, you know I started seeing different um, surgeons and interviewing surgeons to see what that was all about I've never been to a hospital before I've never had wow. anything done I knew nothing about any I've never been you know I've never had anesthesia I've never I've never had anything done so I didn't even know what it was like just actually having a surgery done was just horrifying enough and on top of that it was cancer surgery that was even more horrifying <laughs> so, right and it was so, your breast right as exactly. a woman yeah. that's that has a whole other exactly. kind of emotional layer to it oh right? for sure for yeah. sure and so i initially set up an appointment with five different surgeons <clears throat> and then um, quickly narrowed it down to two and one was a male surgeon and one was a female surgeon. And the male surgeon was actually, is a, is a very famous surgeon um, who, um, who has people flying from all over the world to see him because he pioneered certain techniques and procedures in surgery. He doesn't take any insurance. It's impossible. He's at a hospital here in Los Angeles, but it's impossible to even see him because he's just like, he's so you know, incredibly hard um, to make an appointment with. And then the female surgeon that I liked, um, she was really young. She was eight months pregnant with triplets. And um, she just split from, uh, from, <laughs> from Cedars and started her own breast center. And when I arrived at her new offices that she just opened, um, she didn't even have chairs in the waiting room. And But there was something about her 
that I really appreciated. The, we, she spent two hours with me in the first appointment, partially because obviously she didn't have a whole lot of clients, you know, because she was brand new, but that worked for me. And she explained absolutely everything. And because obviously I had a million questions. And one of the things that I did that I always encourage everybody to do is um, I had questions written down before I was going to see my doctors. And I had my little recorder being a journalist, you know, I knew (laughs) that I had to record my sessions with doctors because I was completely distraught and I couldn't hear. And what I heard was not what I heard later, obviously. And so then I would come home and I would listen, I would transcribe and I would then make sense of what happened in those offices. So she spent a lot of time with me. Um, He, on the other hand, um, was very responsive and great doctor, great surgeon, but he obviously didn't have the time that she had, and um, he was a little brisk. um, And so it came down, so I spent three weeks uh, after I've narrowed it down to them, going back and forth between the two of them and bouncing information. And I think they both hated me by then because um, I was very high maintenance. <laughs> it's great, though. I love that you didn't rush into anything. No, no. And I recommend that everybody, because, you know, when people get diagnoses like cancer, you know, doctors immediately want you on the table and they want operated on literally the next morning. But I always tell people, it's, to, it's taken you all these years to get that cancer. Don't go, on, don't go into surgery tomorrow. Spend some time educating yourself and understanding what is going on with your body. It's not, nothing is going to happen. Those couple weeks or even a month or even two months are not going to make that much difference in your life. Like literally get that time and do this for yourself. And it was really helpful for me. Um, and eventually it came down to um, the incision. Where we talk, like you mentioned, the, the breast, it is very important. And so being a young woman herself, um, so the surgeon I went with was Dr. Christy Funk, uh, who is now very famous. You know, But back then, nobody knew who she was. And uh, she said, you're a young woman, and I don't want your breast to look bad. So I'm going to make an incision around your nipple. Um, so when I asked the same question, the male doctor, um, he looked at me and he said, do you want to live or do you want to die? Oh, and I said, what kind of question is that? (laughs) And he said, look, if I go around your nipple, it's, I'm not going to get the entire tumor and, uh, and you're probably going to go into a second surgery and then I don't know what's going to happen. And I really don't recommend that. And uh, so when I asked Dr. Funk, well, he's telling me that he can't do that why do you think you can? And she said, well, it's an extra 45 minutes, you know? <laughs> so, wow. but I still didn't believe it. So I had a friend in New York who had uh, connections at the hospitals there. And so I had the chief of oncolo- oncological surgery on the phone with me measuring the distance from my tumor to my nipple. <laughs> you know, when I was in the car one day, he says, well, how many millimeters or how many centimeters? <laughs> oh my you know? Because it was a whole, it was a whole to do, but um, I am really happy with the decision that I made and uh, and the surgery was amazing, and I, yeah. So you you really got connected to some of the best the best doctors yeah. out there to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. Did they? Oh, they didn't take your insurance. No. So at that time, I had um, I had self employed insurance that was you know, didn't really cover a whole lot and had um, like a $10,000 deductible or something like that. And I don't even think had a whole lot in network. I don't even remember. I just remember that it was not a really great insurance <laughs> because we didn't go to the doctor. So we just had to have something, you know, sure. so that's what really it was. But um, I think it was also timing and luck and 
circumstances. I don't know. I mean, so many things um, um, came um, came to play here that um, I think part of it was that it was a new practice, and she, um, you know, um, I think it was something that she was willing to work with. And um, I actually ended up doing the surgery, not at the hospital, which I had a choice with because she had privileges at a hospital. And the choice was having the hosp- having the surgery at the hospital or having it in the OR in the building because her offices were in the building where there were m- multiple medical you know offices and they had like a small OR that doctors shared in the building. And I had, I don't know how I knew this. I really don't know. I don't remember because I was doing massive amounts of research, but I called Cedars to ask them what it would be because of my insurance. And I believe, and I can't remember now all the numbers, but I believe they told me that the, it was something in the, in the, um, in the area of like in the thirties or in the $40,000 for the surgery. And, um, and then going into the OR was, um, I believe it was around eight or ten. I can't remember, but um, I can't remember the arrangement that we made. That we, if we paid her cash, you know, um, for using the OR was like a different price, and because insurance was not going to cover anything in the OR at all because it was not affiliated with anything. It was just a medical office OR. It made sense for us to actually pay cash. To, to do the surgery versus going through insurance. And I can't remember, I think she gave us like a really good discount. I think it ended up being like four or 5,000 or something like that that, oh, that, wow. that that worked out, you know, just, but but just for the OR, just for the room and, you know, anesthesia and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, but that actually being, ended up being a blessing because um, it was just me, you know. Um, it's a tiny little you know, OR, and then they had three nurses, and they had the doctor, and it was just me and my family, and it was actually a really rather pleasant experience, oh, great. <laughs> considering circumstances. That's so great. Yeah. Um, so you, so you got the, you got that removed, mm-hmm. and then after that, I, I believe you did hormone therapy. So yeah, so I got the the lump removed, and she cleared the margins, which was you know, which was a big thing. So in in cancer surgery, when they remove, um, the reason some women do mastectomy is because it depends on how the tumor is structured, and one of the things why some also women go into subsequent surgeries is because when the um, when the tumor is removed um, they don't always clear the margins meaning that there's still cells cancerous cells that are around and they can only check it in pathology post-surgery whether the margins have been cleared and so luckily all of my margins were cleared and so she was able to remove the entire tumor and the tissue surrounding it and whatever that needed to be removed and uh, so that was out amazing that's yeah. good news yeah yeah so that was really good news so then I was told that I needed to do um, chemo radiation and then um, and then hormonal therapy <clears throat> and that's to keep it from coming back metastasizing right. or right. yeah right okay so what happens is um, okay just get in the nitty-gritty of the whole cancer surgery things right so when they remove the tumor they technically consider you cancer free because they removed the, the, cancer. Can, the cancerous lump, right? But, you know, cancerous cells, the reason they don't know if you have cancer until you have a lump, right, is because um, cancer cells are very small, that they cannot be really detected. And so 
once the surgery is over, they can't really know, even though they do all the scans and everything, but unless there are you know, localized areas with clusters of cells, they don't know if there are stray cells floating throughout the body and multiplying elsewhere. And, and so they're doing all of these procedures to for prophylactics in a way, you know, which is, you know, because they have all of these studies that they were doing that if they do this procedure, this is the rate of, you know, of recurrence. If they do this procedure, the rate, you know, increases or decreases or whatever. So there are all of these statistics that they throw at you. So, which is overwhelming, of course. And, of course. Uh, and so, and they have, they have, there is a pattern as to you know, what goes first, like, you know, there are different, you know, cancers, again, like every cancer is different, so there are different procedures, like sometimes women do chemo first, then surgery, you know, depending on the size of their tumor and things like that, so for me, they want to do surgery and then chemo, and then radiation, and then hormone therapy, and so, and there's a window as to when you have to start chemo, because they, the belief is um, that if you start past a certain period, then it's too late. They, they can't. And so they give you like a period of time when to start the chemo. And so that was the hardest time, really, um, because then I kind of just like I knew that I had cancer when <laughs> I felt the lump. I intuitively knew that if I were going to if I were to do chemo, I was going to die. I just knew it. I don't know why, but I just, I just no, I, felt it. I know that sensation and it's real and you, and trusting yeah. it is, is beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, so you did not. Well, it, it was not an easy process. Right. You know, I, um, everybody, I did multiple tests. Um, you know, I did, um, two genetic type tests, which one is called mammoprint and one is called oncotype. One is done on a live tissue. One is done on a frozen tissue to determine the rate of, um, recurrence and things like that. And um, I had a lot of pressure from so many doctors to um, to do chemo. And everybody was telling me that I was not thinking if I decline it that I am probably going to go and it's not a good, you know, it's not a good thing to do. I have young children and why would I even consider not doing it, that it's going to be quick and it's going to be fine. And I spent, and so I, my, my um, window was three months to um to start chemo and those three months i don't think i've cried more in my entire life oh. i mean it was like waterworks <laughs> i cried and 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 i cried i cried and i cried and i cried and i didn't even know i could cry so much i'm sure i cried <laughs> but, like that for two years for yeah. sure but uh, yeah I, yeah you know I yeah. have a dramatic flair, so yeah. I definitely cried a lot. But I, um, that's that's such a hard decision to make. I've yeah. seen people have to make that decision, and and it's really hard. Yeah. And I'm sure your loved ones around you are wanting you to do it because yeah. it seems like that's the safest thing to do. But you are living proof that yeah, you, you know, you found an alternative yeah. way. So is that the part in your book, Supalina? When I talk about the yeah. book, I'm talking about mm -hmm. Supalina. When you talk about being in fetal position and crying on the bathroom yeah. floor and crying. Is this yeah. that phase? Yeah, 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 yeah. And phase. I literally just, I surrendered and I said, I'm going to die. And I remember, you know, one of my 
Um, I wouldn't return anybody's calls. I sent a couple emails to a couple like groups that I was in and I said, look guys, I got cancer. Don't call me. I'm, I'm done. I'm gone. You know, I'm dying. You know, like I literally believed that I was dying. Like that was that, you know? And, and of course everybody's trying to cheer you up and say, oh no, you'll be fine. It's fine. And of course and the doctors are telling you the same thing. Oh, please don't even like it. You'll be absolutely fine. So many women go through this, but Everybody has their own experience. There's no two experiences that are alike, you know. And I knew what was happening with me, and I knew that I was going. <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> so, oh. so I wouldn't call anybody back. And one of my friends from <laughs> New York, she persisted, and she called, and she called, and she called, and she called, and I would not call her back. And she would leave me these crazy messages on my voicemail. And I finally called her back one day, and I said, Ellie, stop calling me back. I'm dying. <laughs> And she goes, oh, really? And are you feeling sorry for yourself? Oh, <laughs> and wow. And that's what woke me up. And I thought, first, my initial thought in my mind was like, how dare she? I have cancer. Like, she can't tell me like, these kind of things. Because, you know, you're expecting people to go like, oh, I'm so sorry. Thing. And she goes, yeah. And what are you doing? Crying and feeling sorry for yourself? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm feeling very sorry for myself. Thank God for those people right? that come in. And I'm not one of them. I'm yeah. not good at the tough love thing. Sometimes I am, but usually not. I'm I'm all poor baby come here cry in my lap yeah so i the uh-huh. people that t- turned to me and said like i know one of my turning points was this guy who said yeah you know you're a victim of getting bit by a tick but you're not a victim of how you handle this illness so yeah. take some responsibility yeah and it was like oh <laughs> yeah okay yeah um and people telling me the self-pity thing Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that. Like, so, oh, yeah. so you're feeling sorry for yourself. You're in self-pity. Like, find some gratitude. And I'd be like, fuck you, gratitude. Yeah. And uh-huh. But those are the things that really helped me the most yeah. in some ways. So... Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I just felt like I was slapped on my on my cheeks, and uh, and she um, she said, "Look, you're a great journalist. Get off your ass and start doing something about it." And I'm like, "Well, what am I supposed to do?" And she goes, "You know what to do. I don't need to tell you what to do. You know exactly what to do. You can get out of this. Stop crying, you know." Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and it was it was a wake up call, like a massive wake up call, and that's what kind of sent me on this journey of you know, of being the journalist and researching my own case and then making myself, you know, the guinea pig of my own, of my own research, because I, you know, I was like, yeah, what do I have to lose? If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. So I might as well just learn some shit on the way to die. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. So So you did. You learned, I did. You learned a whole lot and you opted out of chemo and, and radiation, right? No, I did some, I actually negotiated with radiation. So what I did is, so normally radiation, Radiation is a six-week uh, thing where you go every single day, and uh, and so I didn't want to do it. And uh, but because I was refusing chemo, they were the doctors were killing me. I mean, they were literally just clawing onto me and thinking that I'm just literally self-killing, like I'm committing suicide. That's how I felt. Like the doctors were telling me, not exactly in these words, right? So when I went to see the radiologist, I. I said, I will do some radiation, but I'm not going to do the six weeks. And he goes, right, but that's the protocol. And I'm like, I don't care. And so we negotiated and I did like three and a half weeks. I did like half of the, um, of the, um, of the protocol. So yeah. Which also didn't get me burned and didn't create like uh, other problems. I mean, I actually, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have done uh, radiation because I mean, it's been uh, eight years and my breast to this day, like 
I have so much pain in the breast. Like not normally when I walk around, but if somebody hugs me like my daughters hug me, I feel the pain because, uh, and it's because of radiation. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How come? I'm not really sure what, be, but because everything just kind of like changes there, right. you know, and uh, yeah. And I, I don't I even still really have, know what, ra- like, what do they do when, when you're getting radiation? You. Yeah. Is it just on your breasts? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it is. They tattoo you. They tattoo, they tattoo like three little, um, you know, three little dots, which I have, you know, like around my breast and they aim the radiation on just specific area to just kill anything that can potentially be crawling there. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you did hormone therapy. Right. And also I did it also for way, way shorter period of time. So um, that was another thing that, um, you know, I was very much on the on the fence and didn't want to do it. And I have gone to researchers all over the country and talked to um, some of the most celebrated, you know, people. And, you know, nobody wants to take responsibility. And I totally realize that. But I have gotten a lot of insight and one of the things that um, one of the um, pathologists told me when he looked at all of my tests, he said, um, he said, look, your circumstances are kind of funny. He said, I can see why, you know, they're pushing you to do this and you pu- they're pushing you to do that. But he said, um, because of your profile, and he's a researcher pathologist, so he knows like all the, you know, your entire cellular composition and how your cells react to certain things. He tested everything on me. And he said that he thought that in my case, it wouldn't be a bad idea. And uh, so, but I still was very apprehensive about it. So I went to a doctor who is also a yogi, yeah, like a Sikh yogi. And he told me that before I take my first pill, that I have to meditate on it and tell myself that it will actually help me instead of hurt me because I was so intent that it was going to hurt me. Mm. And, uh, and funny enough, and at first I was like, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. I'm not doing that. But then I thought, you know what? What do I got to lose? I'll try that. And so I did. And um, interestingly enough, so when you start hormone therapy, technically um, women you know, immediately go into menopause <clears throat> because everything shuts, shuts down. None of that happened for me. I had absolutely no symptoms, and my doctors actually felt that it was that it was not working on my body. So they actually tested me to make sure that that those pills were actually working because I had no symptoms. And working would mean slowing slowing all of your hormones well, down. No, it's not about slowing. It's about um, it's about blocking estrogen production. Okay. So yeah, it's estrogen specifically. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So. Um, and uh, and apparently it, they were working, but um, I was not getting I wasn't getting sent to menopause. I was not getting hot flashes. I was not getting any of the symptoms that women normally get. That said, I did start developing funny like fatigue and things like that. And after a couple of years, I remember I um, I was just I was so tired. Um, I came back from a trip. I was out of the country and came back from a trip. And at first I thought it was jet lag. I spent about a week in bed and couldn't get out. And I took a shower one day, and I was walking out of the shower, and I collapsed. And it freaked my daughters out because they thought that I died because I literally just dropped. Wow. <laughs> you know? With, fainted? With, with towel around my, yeah, around fainted. my body. Yeah, oh, fainted, wow. yeah. And and it was so weird because I'm like, I've never, I mean, I've when I was younger, you know, like for other reasons, I guess. But I just felt 
you know, like I didn't know what to do, what to make of this. And so I um, started, you know, went back into research mode and discovered this lab in Florida, actually, and did a bunch of different tests that normally doctors don't do, and realized that <clears throat> that the, uh, the therapy that I was getting was very toxic on my body and that, you know, I can't do this anymore. So I went to see my oncologist and I told her that. And, uh, and she said, okay, then stop. And I'm like, really? Wow. So you stopped. And then, mm -hmm. so in this process of mm -hmm. all of your research, mm -hmm. you found food, mm -hmm. you found diet to be, right. did you, so one of the things I suggest to people that come yeah. to me with Lyme disease is <clears throat> I always say, go find the people that got well mm -hmm. and worse, very sick and right. find out what they did. Yeah. Did you go to cancer survivors? You didn't, you, you talked to no, doctors. No, no, it wasn't even doctors. So it, again, it was research really. So what I've, you know, I, as a journalist, I started, I was trying to understand what cancer really was and why we get cancer and why it's such a mysterious disease and why <clears throat> everybody's searching for quote unquote cure for cancer. Like what the hell is that, right? And I realized that there is cure and there is prevention. Nobody just wants to talk about it. And because it's hard work, nobody wants to do the work. You know, everybody wants Unless to get your life is threatened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and especially, you know, we like, you know, quick fixes, you know. So what I discovered, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to cells, you know, again, because cancer cells are cells, right? So we all have cancer cells floating through our body at one time or another, but our immune system normally is strong enough to just zap them and off we go. And it, it has to do with viruses and all kinds of things that enter our bodies, right? So if our immune systems are strong, you know, we're able to combat that, right? So when immune system weakens, which happens with emotional issues, with, you know, with physical issues, with different things, right? So it creates an opportunity for those cancer cells, in my case, to latch onto each other and start multiplying. <clears throat> So you have to create an environment in your body to not allow that to happen again. So I started um, kind of, you know, also with female cancers, because female cancer is a hormone-driven, hormone um, the... Um, when you're eating meat and animal protein, meat contributes to hormones because you're consuming somebody else's hormones, whether it's dairy or meat or anything else. It's just, you know, logical, right? What about soy? <clears throat> soy is controversial. You know, it's funny because I've read so much research on soy and it's so divided. So what I have, <clears throat> what I have determined is that if it's fermented and sprouted soy, it's way better for you than actual which soy. Which is like tempeh. Which is tempeh, tempeh, which is you can buy sprouted tofu in, in stores. You can buy um, um, like fermented soybeans, things mm -hmm. like that. So those are, uh, miso is fermented as well. So that's why miso soup is good for you is because miso is fermented soy. Got it. Yeah, yeah I thought mm -hmm. fermented was better too. But okay, so yeah. animal products, hormones. Right. Like, so right. I knew that I had to eliminate all the animal protein in order, f because if I'm not doing the hormone therapy, right? I need to figure out how to regulate my estrogen. So how do I do that? And, you know, if I eat meat, it just stimulates my estrogen. And so I needed to calm it down. And so I had to, you know, eat a lot of vegetables and things like that. But so I've also discovered um, Chinese medicine because of my surgeon, actually. Initially, I started seeing um, a Chinese medicine doctor and started doing acupuncture and having herbs. And um, usually when you go to um, <clears throat> acupuncture, you get a lot of supplements and herbs and things like that. And at first, I kind of started on that regimen. 
But I realized very quickly that I can't possibly be consuming that many supplements. There's just too many things I need to have in my body. And then, you know, being naturally curious about things, I would ask every time I would come for my session, I would ask the doctor to, um, to tell me about things like, why do I need this? Why is this working? And I discovered certain supplements or certain, you know, herbs, I should say, that I could easily just incorporate in my, in my diet instead of just popping pills. And so that got me going and also eliminating animal protein. You know, I've always eaten, I always considered that I ate healthy and I never thought that I was unhealthy or anything. I was never overweight or anything. And so I kind of struggled with that because I love food and I love the excitement of food and the ritual of food and culture and everything that has to do with it. And eating very bland vegetables with like brown rice just was not exciting. And I used to joke and, you know, with my family, I used to say that if I'm not going to die from cancer, I'm definitely dying from depression because I can't eat like that. Uh (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because when I tell people my diet, which is very, which is quote unquote restricted, although it doesn't feel restricted to me because I'm like, but look at how many vegetables I have to choose from kind of thing but it was really important for me to be Mm -hmm. excited about food and to be excited about meals right and I got your book really early a a few years ago already or a couple years ago and yeah your recipes are they're fun they're I'm excited to have I'm excited to have my meal and I think that that is the the really important thing so you you found a way to make so well I started playing in the kitchen and started to figuring out how I'm going to incorporate all of those ingredients that I have to have into something that I don't have to like pile up a plate with vegetables kind of thing. So as, as, as I was discovering Chinese medicine, I stumbled upon Ayurveda, um, more, you know, beyond the massage and treatments kind of thing, but more in the holistic way of how to eat. And so while Chinese medicine is about herbs, Ayurveda is about spices. And so that created a whole other layer and I also learned a lot about myself through Ayurveda and traveled to India and actually went to the birthplace of Ayurveda in Kerala and uh, learned a lot about myself um, because you know, Ayurveda believes in doshas and uh, and has three doshas, um, which is your constitution and how you react to things and how you digest things and all of that. <clears throat> so um, I also discovered um, naturopathy and went to a clinic in Atlanta and spent a week there with a naturopath and learned that kind of thing. And then I guess being a journalist, I just had this light bulb experience and, you know, realization that, you know, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and, well, and naturopathy too, but Ayurveda is the oldest medicine in the world. Then there's Chinese medicine and then there's naturopathy. And so we are putting all of our eggs in one basket and we're going to the doctors, which is great. There's, you know, great, you know, role of traditional medicine or modern medicine, I call it. I don't really call it traditional. It's modern medicine in our lives. But when it comes to chronic conditions, when it comes to healing yourself, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience in these ancient medicines, but nobody has put them together. You know, they've always kind of existed in their own little realms. And so what I have tried to do is bring all those three modalities into my soup. And I created my own soup. (laughs) I love so, that. Yeah, so that's really what I did. And I believe that strongly that we should yeah. p- we should pick from as many different modalities yeah. as we can because yeah. they're all there for a reason. Yeah. And you, I don't follow any one particular, no. you know, a brand of anything. Yeah. I, I pull from Eastern and Western and many yeah. different versions of Eastern. And so, and your soups have 
always delighted me and made me feel so good from the inside out. So what I want to know, so what is your favorites or a couple of your favorite soups in the book? It's tough. And do you eat them? Do you make them still? Yeah, I had actually right before I came here, I had a bowl of broth. Uh, Interestingly enough, I had a broth. I had my veggie broth with, um, I chopped up some fermented veggies um, in there and I put some tempa, uh, a little bit of rice and uh, because I'm not cleansing and, um, and fresh cilantro. So that was, and actually I also put Thai chili peppers in there too. Yeah. So that was, that was, that, that's what I had before I came here. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What, are, what are a couple of your favorite recipes? Uh, um, it's hard for me to choose favorites because it depends on what I'm craving and what I'm in the mood for. And I always say like, they're all my babies, so I can't really choose favorites. But that said, I gravitate, um, you know, um, seasonally, I think more or less, like I love butternut soup, you know, because it's just so, um, it's so satisfying and so yummy and I don't know it just makes me feel loved I also love beet soup um, but again it's not a beet soup like the way you think of beet so beet is a controversial vegetable or root I should say it's very interesting because I think people are having a really hard time knowing what to do with beets. And so that's why when you go to restaurants, you see, you know, like sauteed beets, which is fine. You know, they're fine. Or they have like a beet salad with melon, which is kind of gross for me because it's like you're not supposed to combine those things together because they really don't digest properly together. But you know, you're not really but, supposed to combine melon with anything. Really. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But there are all these interesting interpretations with beets and uh, but none of of them are savory enough because you know the, the root itself ha- has sweetness to it and if you roast it it becomes even sweeter you know so but I have um kind of like a you know because I'm Russian so I have this modern twist on the Russian borscht uh which I also think that Russian borscht is misunderstood and a lot of the borscht I made not the way I want to make them but <laughs> so there's a potato and there is cabbage and there are carrots and there's thyme which is a very 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 powerful herb um in everything from detoxifying to calming your mind it's actually people who have anxiety should just like brew it in tea because it's one of the best things um you know time is really powerful and we don't use it enough Oh, I have some in my fridge yeah. right now. Yeah. Maybe and you're then, making me want to eat it. Yeah. And <laughs> then so there's bay leaf um, in the soup as well. And potatoes, which is another, you know, thing that potatoes are so vilified in the United States. And potatoes are really good for you. I know. And yeah. they are really good for you. Yeah. They are not. People so say because they're white. But then Anthony William, the medical medium, has this whole thing about how like, yeah, but the inside of apples are white. Yeah. So like, and the skin of potatoes is actually all different colors, and it's you know. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. I love them, and they make me feel so grounded so and good, good, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Potatoes are my go-to's. I love potatoes. Literally, when I feel bad, one of the my favorite things to do is to bake a potato or just boil a potato and and mash it um, with a little bit of fresh garlic and a little bit of pink salt. That's literally my go-to. I immediate, it's it's my pick-me-up. It's I feel so, so much better immediately. That's like, it's so one good. of the best things. And you're talking about, you know, obviously your food needed to bring you some joy too because yeah. as you talked about, you said earlier that cancer is actually an emotional mm-hmm. illness yes. that it comes from your emotional state and so and so you need you needed, I suppose, to find lots of ways to incorporate yeah. joy into your life. Absolutely. And you, we also talked about, you talked about your immune system mm-hmm. and how emotional stress lowers your immune system and you, yeah. you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Yeah. So 
So the way you live a balanced life today, we do have to wrap up shortly, unfortunately, because okay. I could talk to you forever. I know. <laughs> um, what is the what is what is your balanced life today? I know Ooh. you do Kundalini, right? That's I one do of Kundalini. your Kundalini. Uh huh. I do med- I meditate. I actually go once a year. I go on these ten day you know, silence meditation retreats that are so powerful and incredibly revitalizing. And I think it's very hard to find balance in modern life. It really is. And it's a constant struggle. It's not like I have figured it out. I'm still figuring it out. I always say I'm work in progress. Right. (laughs) I'm not done. I'm still trying to figure it out. And there are days that I fall off the wagon and I feel really bad and I beat myself up and then I go like, no, I should not be beating myself up. And uh, so it's, Part of the it's balance is actually to fall off the wagon. Yeah. Part of the balance is to let yourself be human. Yeah. yeah. But so, but you do, you do meditate. You do have this diet. You don't fall off of your diet, really. I do sometimes. You do. You know, like you know, one of my biggest crutches is bread. Like oh. bread. Oh my God! I literally, I, I have to stay away from bread because if I have a, a tiny slice, I'm done. Like I, I have a loaf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't stop. It's my drug of choice. Is bread. Yeah, it's really good. I love bread. Right. So things like that, that sometimes I just overdo some things. And it's not like they're bad things. None of them are bad. But, you know, it has to be balanced. And right. sometimes I don't. Right. <laughs> and you've found some, you work, you're working yeah. and you're, mm-hmm. you feel healthy and you are yeah. free. You continue to get checkups. Do you still get checkups yes, every year? I do. Yeah. I go once a year, um, just to get my blood work done and, you know, and I'm, you know, getting older. So I do, I started kind of paying attention to my hormones. And so I actually did for the first time this year, I went to a naturopath and did like a massive panel, um, that looked at absolutely every everything in my blood and saliva and hair and like all of that kind of stuff. I like doing those panels and so I know what's going on. But interestingly enough, then I go to my oncologist and, um, you know, where the naturopath says, oh, pay attention here and pay attention there. Then my oncologist goes, you're fine. You're great. And I'm like, yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's worth it to go to have all of the, to get the full outlook from multiple different people. And I love that you talked about that seeing you really took your time. You yeah. saw many practitioners yeah. and you did the research yourself mm-hmm. and you pulled what felt right for you and best for you mm-hmm. and what came out of the research, yeah. what, what was scientifically proven for yeah. you. So um, you're such an inspiration to take to Thank take you. your health into your own hands. And today, like you're so different than you describe yourself before when you said, told everyone to not talk to you and, you know, don't yeah. call me, I'm dying. And you're, you're such a joy and you're such a... a bundle of light so (laughs) and you really attribute that to to this journey yeah cancer changed my life for the best for sure it it was actually the silver silver lining the you know like the magical journey I would have never been where I am today and I'm actually super grateful that I had cancer it's the kick in the butt that I needed yeah I, I relate to that with yeah. illness stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. You can buy um, Soup Alina, which is Soup Plus Alina, and it's so cute. And <laughs> it's, it's such a great book, guys. And you can actually do um, Alina's Soup Cleanse out of that book. And if you live in L.A. or you ship everywhere. No, just L.A. Just LA. If just you LA. live in L.A., you can purchase soups from, from Alina, and they're very good. Um, you can buy it on Amazon or... Barnes and Noble. Or Barnes and Noble. And it's actually in March. It's coming out on paperback. So oh, really? I, I just found out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fun. Well, I yeah. have the hardcover. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, you can also follow Alina on Instagram and Twitter at Supelina. It's S-O-U-P-E-L-I-N-A-L-A. Supelina L-A. Um, 
or at Alina K. Furman uh, on Instagram also and on Twitter at Alina Furman. And I will link to all of that below. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and for sharing all of that knowledge with everybody. Um, Everyone, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Feel free to review in iTunes and uh, follow me and subscribe on twosecondnaked.com. Thanks. Bye.